You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, it's certainly nice uh, to see you here this morning to just be a part of what God has to say and what God has to do. Uh, I just pray in all ways and in all things that God would just bless you this morning. Uh, It's been an unusual week. I don't know how to define those much anymore, but uh, a a bit unusual, just tremendously blessed this week. I spoke to you last week. I'm not going to go back and review much of that, but I spoke to you last week about Paul's request to Timothy asking that Timothy would come and help him because one named Demas had forsaken him. And again, the word forsaken means that he left him in dire straits. Paul was in a desperate situation and those who were around him chose to leave. Second Timothy chapter four is where we were last week. And just briefly, verse nine, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me for Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world and it's departed into Thessalonica. So I talked to you last week about what the Bible says about not loving this present world. We can look at this from any direction, but in all reality, it's, it's not difficult to understand why Demas was tempted and then why he left Paul to pursue the, the world that he loved. Again, Satan's not trying to get us to participate in this world. He's trying to get us to love this, this, this current world. And there's a tremendous amount of difference because God has placed us in it. But we aren't designed to love this present world. We're designed to love the world that God has designed. From the passage we considered last week in 1 John chapter 2, if you want to go there with me following verse 15, where we're instructed not to love this world or the things in it. We are told why we shouldn't love it. And I want to just stop there for just a second because I just had a, the Lord wouldn't leave me alone about last week's sermon. It's like you, there was, there was part two also, and he just wouldn't leave it alone. So uh, that's why we find ourselves back here. In verse 16, after he's told us not to love this present world, in verse 15, or not love the things in it, he says in verse 16 this, for all that is in the world, this present world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. The world makes us great offers. And again, it's understandable why Demas would go and and after this world that he saw and after this world he loved. We know how easy it is because many of us have gone down that same path, loving this present world, loving those things about it. It offers lust of the flesh, which is desiring pleasure, but outside of the will of God, outside of his design. It's not saying that those pleasures are wrong. It's saying that those pleasures are wrong when, they're, when we seek after them outside of God's will. 
And again, we know well what that's talking about. It offers, it says here, the world offers the lust of the eyes, which is an illegitimate desire for possessions. Again, there's nothing wrong with those possessions. I can show you that in the scripture. It's the love of those possessions. It's when they take on a godly position that they're wrong. And it says it offers and encourages the diligent pursuit of position and advancement outside of his will for our own lives. He's saying that's what the world has to offer. It offers money. It offers popularity and fame. It offers positions and titles, acceptance and friendship. But in the world system, as we talked about last week, what was the hub of the world system that why God would say, stay away from it? Because as I told, told you last week, if I'm going to talk to you about a financial or a monetary system, we know that the hub of that is money. It's got many spokes off of it. We would talk about banking and we'd talk about personal finance and we're talking about investments. We would talk about many things, but money's the hub. If I were to talk to you about an educational system, I'd be talking about the transfer of knowledge from one person to the other. But, it, but that's the hub, but off of that hub are many spokes. There's public schools and high schools and private schools and homeschooling and textbooks and all the things that touch it. When we talk about a world system, the world he tells us not to love. That hub, when we know the hub, we'll understand why he wants us to, to not love it, to avoid it. Because the hub of that world system that Satan has designed, organized for one purpose, and that's to achieve that hub. And the hub is this, to remove God from all things. That's the hub of the world system. And we don't, we're not shocked by it. Matter of fact, we look up and see it almost everywhere we go. We see, you know, I, I was uh, flipping through the news. I don't watch the news much, but I read it. And one of the things that I read was people who we cannot prove ever lived. And, and the list was pretty thorough. But I don't even have to ask you much. If Who do you believe was on that list of of figures that we talk about that we have no proof that they ever lived. Who do you think was on the list? Jesus was on the list. You see, we should, we're not shocked by the, by the determination to remove God from all things. That's the, that's the heart of this, of this world system. So what the world offers, when it offers the popularity and for people, when they find themselves alone, it's not hard to understand why they, why they will compromise great things, tear away great sections of their heart to try to be accepted, to try to be loved, to try to be cared for, and they'll tear away huge chunks of their life, of things that are valuable, and they'll sell them out for the acceptance and the popularity that they desperately need. But that world system as it says, is destructive. Satan is not particularly creative when we look at this because when we consider what was said to Eve, he said, the Bible says she saw the tree. That's the lust of the eyes. She saw that it was desirable to make one wise. That's the lust of the flesh. She heard that she would be as smart and capable as God. That's the pride of life. So he started this way. We shouldn't be surprised that he continues 
to Jesus in the wilderness. He said, turn the stones into bread, lust of the flesh. Jump off these buildings, lust of the eyes, so that all can see your power and your majesty. Bow down and worship me and I'll give you all these kingdoms. Pride of life. He's going to use these three things according to the scripture over and over and over. He's going to tempt you with your eyes. He's going to tempt you in the flesh. He's going to tempt you with pride. He then tells us in verse 17 of 1 John chapter 2, why he doesn't want us to love this present world. And besides the destruction of it, he says in verse 17, and the, and the world passes away and the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abides forever. He's telling us that what we fall in love with, when we fall in love with the world, when we fall in love with the popularity, when we fall in love with the acceptance, when we fall in love with the positions and the titles and all the honors and the favor that we seek from that world, when at the end of all of that, what happens? That world that we love passes away. Isn't it interesting that we would put time and energy and passion and interest and love investing ourselves in a world where we have the great assurance that that world is going to pass away. There will be nothing that we, and I can't even think of a good illustration except for the fact that if you had, if you had money to invest or, or means to invest, you would hope that what you place your money in will have some type of a long-term reality to it. Rarely would we put something, I don't even, Say rarely, I don't, can't even think of an occasion when we would invest money knowing that tomorrow that which we invested would disappear. That we would just, we'd invest it with all the assurance that that which we invested, that $100 that I invested in something, we, and we knew with all assurance that that $100 was going to be gone tomorrow. We would, we would count that kind of the epitome of foolishness to invest in something that had no life, no possibility, nothing long-term in it. And this is what God's warning us about. He's telling us, when you love this present world and you invest heavily in what it can give you and you sell huge portions of your heart to get it, to overcome those things, when we do that, there's a guarantee that tomorrow that which we have invested will be gone and lost because it all passes away. There's nothing about it that will bring us those things that we long for the most. It passes away, it fades away because it's all temporary. But I want us to look for a moment at what was truly intended. This is where we have to get to. What was truly intended? If the hub of the world system was leaving God out, it should be necessary that we fully understand what is the hub of the kingdom that he desired and that he designed. What sits in the middle of that kingdom? What sits in the middle of that world? What's the hub? I hope to each of us the answer is extremely obvious. I wish I could say, okay, what is it? And everybody would almost as a chorus answer back, what is the hub of all things kingdom? 
What is the hub of all things of God? Well, I don't have to go very far, but you could answer it with me. God is what? Love. You see, love sits at the hub of this, of what all that God has designed. We, we miss this. We miss this, this message. Now, granted, there will be many things that come off of that hub. There will be many things that spread off of that hub. But, the, but, but everything revolves, everything rotates around, around this truth. God is love. And then, by the way, we get to also read in John 3, 16, what? Not only is he love, but what? For God so loved the world. You see, sitting directly in the middle of this, wor- of this godly system designed by him is the reality that God loves you. God, the creator of the universe, The one who spoke and light came out of his mouth with all the speed of light. God, who could speak to and breathe into this form laying on the ground that he had shaped out of the dust of the earth, laying there with all the capability in it, but with no life in it, that, that God could bow down over him and breathe into him the breath of life. That God, who spoke this creation into existence, loves you. And I mean not just loves you, he's passionate about you. That word love, agape, unconditional love, that's what God thinks of you. That's how God loves you. And we know it by proof. We continue in that verse, for God so loved the world that what happened? He gave his only begotten son. You want to know the, the, the amount of love, you want to know the extremities and the extremes of love, look at that. How many of us would, would today sacrifice one of our children? Now, I don't know your children, so I better not ask this. <laughs> but in general, how many of us would sacrifice one of our children for any cause, much less one where he's going to make something available but with no guarantee. He's giving us a gift and we may not take it. He's giving us something so precious knowing that many will reject it. But it didn't change his love for us. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. All conversation. You should not, we should not, I should not start a conversation with anyone. I don't care if you're sitting around the table having a debate about whether we should do something or shouldn't do something or some verse in the Bible, some perspective that we hold, something that may be right or something that may be wrong. We should never begin that conversation until we settle once and for all, once again in us that God is love. And that he loves me. No conversation should be held without that hub being in the middle of all of it. Because we can sit at tables. When I was a kid, I had uncles that uh, you could predict it. We would finish dinner and one of my 
uncles, on my, this is all on my mother's side. I didn't know my dad's side very well, but my, on my mother's side, one of those brothers would make some kind of a comment about the Bible, and the fight was on. I mean, it, it got loud. They, they would push, they'd push back from the table. It got aggressive. Uh, I don't know if y'all had any relatives like that, but I had several. And so usually the conversation ended when the, when the temperature in the room got so high, people just kind of had to leave because it never reconciled. What was missing? The love of God. You should never have a conversation with someone who is lost, who is not saved, without beginning with the truth. God loves you. If you, if you start anywhere else, we lose the power of grace. You get that? If I don't start with the love of God, I will have a hard time explaining the grace of God because it's hard to explain grace where God would accept his unmerited favor if there, if there wasn't preceded by love. If I, if I don't have love as the hub, I will lose the purpose of mercy. I will lose the reality of God's goodness. It's because if I lose love, it will almost become something that's obligatory, something that God's obliged to give us because he's God. No, the reality is he gives it because he loves you. What, what an amazing difference it would make in this present world if that world that God designed, the one where love is the hub, if we, if, if we rotated in all these spokes, in church, in our families, in our homes, in friendships, all the different spokes where the love of God is supposed to be on display, what the world would look like if we, let, if we freely let the love of God that lives in us loose. You see, John discovered something before the rest of the disciples. Again, I always thought it's kind of curious. I'm sure you have as well that John, in the book of John, four different times would call himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That just sounds like arrogance. Why did he just say, well, this happened to me? He said, no, this, Jesus said to the disciple whom Jesus loved. It's like, come on, John, it's just, it's, it's self-centered. And John's telling us, no, it's not the point. You see, the rest of the disciples were trying to say to Jesus, Jesus, this is how much we love you. Peter said, I love you so much, I'll die. I'll go where you go and I'll die in your place. And I, and he's, I mean, he's trying to send this message to Jesus. I love you, I love you, I love you. And much of the Christian world is still trying to convince God that we love him. Well, God knows our heart. I don't think I can, I don't think I can tell him anything that he doesn't already know. So what, what did John discover? That the greatness in this Life is finding within us the human capacity to let God fully love us. To completely receive the love of God. We sang it just a minute ago. Fill me up. I want to run over. Holy Spirit, let your love that you gave me fill me up and let it run over. And let my wife become the first recipient of that love because when it just breaks over that edge, she's going to be the one that's standing closest to me. Let my children, let my grandchildren, let this church, let this community, let this nation be touched by these overflowing cups full of the love of God. 
See, we will, we'll miss something if we don't understand it's the love of God. I want you to turn with me just for a moment to 1 John chapter 4. I just want us to read it, and then we're going to conclude. We're going to conclude this morning with a baptism. Excited about that. I always like the mornings when we have a baptism. 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. It's not confusing. Beloved, this is written, this is written to Christians. This is written to believers. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. I don't want to embarrass anyone. But sometimes, sometimes it's necessary or possible. Uh, I got a call on Thursday from someone, a friend, Mark Moore, many of you know, and he's, he said, I have a student that came up to him, and I don't know the details of this, I may get this a little bit wrong, but he, uh, he asked Mark if he believed in God, and Mark said yes, and he said, well, I haven't, but I want to. So yesterday morning, Went to Leveland, and uh, for the for the first time, I met Federico from Uruguay. <clears throat> and I had to start in the place because if 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 he didn't hear me say anything else, I needed Federico to know that God loved him. It's the, it's the one thing that changes everything. It's the one thing that makes all things possible. It's the one thing that takes away our being alone. It's the one thing that transforms our life, that this God, powerful, majestic, unlimited God, somehow has found a way to love us. I didn't know where the conversation would go from that point. But at 11.10 yesterday morning, sitting in my truck with us visiting, Federico prayed and asked Jesus to be his Savior. 
because God brought him from Uruguay to I don't know where else. He said last year he lived in Ireland. And I, I said he's in Ireland. He, he looked around the rest of the world. So where else could I go that looks just like Ireland? <laughs> Loveland, Texas. It's just like it. God brought him to the wilderness on purpose to tell him that he loved him. It changes everything. That which could not be touched is touched by the love of God. <clears throat> Celebrate this day with him, his one day anniversary of a new life. I don't know where you are, but I do know this. God loves you. Father, thank you this morning that you remind us so well. You speak so powerfully of what this love looks like. If we portray no other message, if we give no other word, let the word from our hearts as your children be that we know that God is love and by this life that I now live because of you, let us become the walking, talking display of that love. The world is desperately looking for it. They sell their lives, they sell their souls looking for it. When you have given it so freely, so abundantly, Father, thank you for the reassurance and the truth of your love. Thank you, Father. No one can deliver the message like you. No one can tell the story like you that you loved us so much that you would give your only son that we might have life and that we might have it eternal. You paid such a high price. And I pray, Father, that you would find us each day living completely, fully under that truth that I've been bought with a price. The price was your son. And that the love of God poured through Jesus on the cross to us so that we could love each other and love you. Thank you, Father, for teaching us this this morning. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.